enough to have two movie theaters in my town when I grew up. Both of them were pretty far away from where I lived, but they were in walking distance. Early on in my life, I wasn't allowed to walk to the movies by myself, but as I got older and my mother started to trust my friends more, going to the movies became an activity that we kids could do whenever we had the money to do so. This got more interesting as our curfew was extended. So no longer did we need to see a matinee, but we could go and see a movie closer to dinner time, or even in some instances after dinner time. In any instance, day or night, when we would go to the movies, we'd often discuss the movie on the way there, what it was going to be like, and then on the way home we'd discuss how we liked it, what we thought about the movies, and we would wildly speculate about whatever worlds we were exposed to at this point. When it came to horror films, that could make the walk home, especially at night, a bit more interesting. I do remember seeing the movie Fright Night. I saw it with one of my friends, and we walked home from the movies together. And of course, we talked about vampires the entire way home. I lived only one block away from my friend. So we would go past his house, I would drop him off, and then I would have one single block to walk home. Now, whenever I saw a horror movie, my behavior was very much the same. Every little sound, every shadow would set me off. Fright Night was the perfect movie to amplify this behavior because it took place in a suburb where things were happening in neighbors' houses. Needless to say, I ran home as quickly as possible that night. And for weeks afterwards, I was very much in the movie, looking out my window, seeing my neighbors' windows, fretting over blinds and shades with shadows passing behind them. Inevitably, I would get over it and then see another horror movie, and the same thing would happen. There was nothing quite like those terrified moments after I dropped my friend off and I got laser focused on what I had just seen and started to see it everywhere around me. Now that same thing can happen nowadays to kids and adults. They'll see a scary movie and their imagination will take over. This sort of freedom of movement at an early age was exhilarating, but it could also be terrifying. It makes me sad that it's been lost. The good thing is, I'll always have the memories, and because I associate them with specific films, it's easy for me to access them. So, I'd like to share with you one of the films that helps me access these feelings of freedom and terror. The 1985 film, Fright Night. We'll talk about the people in front of and behind the camera. We'll talk a little bit about the production of the film, the music, the sequels and merchandise, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show.
Fright Night is a 1985 horror film. It was the directorial debut of Tom Holland and was produced by Herb Jaffe. Thomas Lee Holland was born in 1943. He's a screenwriter, actor, and filmmaker. He's well known for his work in the horror genre. He wrote the sequel to Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho and the first Child's Play movie. But he's probably best known for writing and directing the subject of this podcast, Fright Night. Tom Holland happened to write a film that I've also covered on the podcast, Cloak and Dagger. While doing the writing on that, he came up with this idea of a horror movie fan who starts thinking that his next door neighbor is a vampire. He let that simmer for about a year. Then one day while discussing it with the head of the story department at Columbia Pictures, John Byers, he starts considering what if this person thought a vampire existed? What would he do? And then it occurred to him, of course, he's going to go to Vincent Price. It was from there that things clicked. The idea would be young person thinks a vampire lives next door, knows that this Vincent Price is a horror host at this point. Horror hosts were people who would host horror films. They still exist today. People like Sven Gulli make comments between commercial breaks often. Or in the case of something like Mystery Science Theater 3000, they actually speak over the film. But horror people were the first ones to do it. The horror host he would go see is Vincent Price. They would team up and kill the vampire. According to Holland, while writing it, I was laughing the entire time, literally on the floor, kicking my feet in the air in hysterics. Holland wrote the film with plans for himself to direct it. He was not happy with how other things he had written had turned out on the screen. And yet, the things he wrote, Psycho 2, Cloak and Dagger, were doing pretty well. And so they decided to take a chance on him. Now, as I mentioned, one of the main roles was written for Vincent Price. And that character was Peter Vincent, who is actually a mashup of two horror icons, Vincent Price and Peter Cushing. Price, at that point in his career, didn't really want to do horror films. It was at this point that Guy McElwain, who was the head of Columbia Pictures, said, you should talk to my friend Roddy McDowell. McDowell not only wanted the part, he was very interested in the character. He especially liked the idea that you would see the character played younger in old film clips of him, and then you would see him in his current age, which was supposed to be in his 60s. And because of how well it would go, McDowell and Holland would become friends. And McDowell invited him to a dinner party where he actually got to meet Vincent Price. Price was very kind to Holland and was flattered by being thought of for the film and thought that McDowell had done a wonderful job in the role. Holland was quite collaborative while working with the people he would cast. And so they did do some pre-production work with notes given by the actors and then had two weeks of rehearsal time. Holland, being a first-time director, took this all very seriously. Everything was very well thought out, which impressed a lot of the people who acted in the film, some of whom would go on to act in other Holland films. Filming started on December 3rd, 1984, and they wrapped things up on February 23rd, 1985. Now, the film was low budget, which some would say could work against you. But in the case of Fright Night, it was good because it lowered expectations. Columbia at the time was really focused on a 
John Travolta, Jamie Lee Curtis film called Perfect that everyone assumed was going to be a blockbuster. According to Holland, They never even came to the set. I was left alone. It was totally my film without studio interference. There were a couple of mishaps on the set, including one of the stars of the film, William Ragsdale, breaking his ankle. But they simply took a minute, figured out how they could film around his healing, and shot other scenes. Just changed the order. And in a couple of weeks, they were able to film lots of scenes that they were not able to film with his injured ankle. The bulk of the film was shot on a backlot, and if it looks familiar to you, you might have seen it in some TV shows and other movies. Notably, it was used in the Tom Hanks movie The Burbs and the film Something Wicked This Way Comes from 1983. They were very lucky to land Richard Edlund as the head of visual effects. The timing was perfect. Edlund and his team had just completed work on Ghostbusters and had learned a ton of things while doing the visual effects for that film. Many of those they were able to bring into Fright Night and do inexpensively and much more efficiently than they might not have had they not been on this very large budget film learning lots of different things. And there were a lot of special effects in this film. Of the film's $9.5 million budget, a million dollars so over 10% of it was spent on special effects. After these messages, we will return. You're searching for a monster who's hard to find. But here's a hint, he's one of a kind. Monster it's a wacky smash. Be the very first to find the fiend and then give him a whack. And start all over again. Monster Mash. It's a wacky smash. Monster Mash. Wacky fun from Parker Brothers. And now, back to the show. Now I'm going to tell you a little bit about the plot of the film. Charlie Brewster is this 17-year-old kid, big fan of horror movies and TV, especially the TV series Fright Night, which is hosted by Peter Vincent, who's a movie vampire hunter. Charlie lives with his single mother, and he has a girlfriend named Amy Peterson, who's very girl next door. Charlie discovers that his neighbor, Jerry Danridge, is a vampire who's been killing people in his neighborhood. He gets a detective to check things out, but we learn from the roommate of the vampire, Billy Cole, that Jerry has gone away on business, which he hasn't. Instead, Jerry the vampire is now going to take things to Charlie. Charlie, of course, goes to the fearless vampire hunter, who is actually not a fearless vampire hunter, but a washed-up movie star, who is a bit cowardly, but will stand up and overcome some of those obstacles, inevitably. Meanwhile, Charlie's life starts to spiral as Jerry starts to consume, basically, everything in his life. His best friend, Ed Thompson, or Evil Ed, and ultimately, his girlfriend. At this point, this has gotten very personal, and Charlie, along with Peter Vincent, are going to take the fight to Jerry. Now, I'm not going to talk about the details of the ending, but if you're worried, the film has a happy ending. If you are a Ghostbusters fan, you will be happy to know there is a Ghostbusters connection beyond the people who worked on Ghostbusters working on this. In the Ghostbusters, you might remember the shushing librarian 
they built a puppet of the librarian, Eleanor Twitty, but the design that they used originally was way too terrifying. So when they were trying to figure out what to do during this big battle between good and evil and wanted to show the vampire in a different state, they thought back to the Eleanor Twitty design that they had come up with and they brought it out and used it for this film. As I mentioned earlier, the actors had some input into how the movie would play out and one of those was to change what would have been a kind of depressing ending where Peter Vincent becomes a vampire at the end and then we kind of get set up for a sequel. Instead, they decided to drop that. And I think it was a good call because Roddy McDowell is very likable and he really brings a lot to the role of Peter Vincent. And while it might have been fun to see a vampire hunter turned vampire, it didn't feel right when you saw McDowell play the role. Maybe Vincent Price playing that role would have been different. Now we're going to talk a little bit about the cast of the film. We'll try to go through it fast. It's not a small cast. Roddy McDowell plays Peter Vincent, vampire hunter extraordinaire. Roderick Andrew Anthony Jude McDowell passed away in 1998. A child actor, worked his entire life. Maybe best known for his work on Planet of the Apes, where he played Cornelius and Caesar. And if you watch the television spinoff, he was Galen. But he was in so many other great movies. Poseidon Adventure, The Longest Day, The Black Hole. A lot of people remember on the set that McDowell had a video camera and he taped on-set behind-the-scenes footage of Fright Night. But sadly, none of that footage has ever surfaced. Chris Sarandon played Jerry Dandridge, the vampire. Sarandon, very talented actor, had a Best Supporting Actor nomination for Dog Day Afternoon. For more modern film watchers, you might recognize his voice as the voice of Jack Skellington in The Nightmare Before Christmas. He was also Detective Mike Norris in Child's Play and Prince Humperdinck in The Princess Bride. William Ragsdale played Charlie Brewster. He's probably best known for his work in Fright Night, but he was also Herman Brooks in the television series Herman's Head. Charlie Sheen had originally auditioned for the role of Charlie Brewster. Tom Holland, in an interview, said that he chose Ragsdale over Sheen because Charlie Sheen was a hero, whereas Ragsdale came across as the boy next door. Amanda Bierce played Amy Peterson. They were having a very difficult time finding a girl next door until Amanda Bierce walked in, and they knew immediately that she was the person for this role, best known for her longtime work as... Marcy on the TV show Married with Children. Stephen Jeffries played Edward Evil Ed Thompson. Evil Ed has become the role that he's most associated with, but he's in some other great stuff like Heaven Help Us, At Close Range, and Fraternity Vacation. Jonathan Stark played Billy Cole. While he had some great roles as an actor in the 80s, he went on to become a writer and producer on television. He created the TV series According to Jim and won an Emmy for writing on the sitcom Ellen back in 1997. Dorothy Fielding played Judy Brewster, a character actor who did a lot of TV work, including a decent stint on the TV show Melrose Place. Finally, Art J. Evans played Detective Lennox, another actor who's worked a ton on TV and movies. I see him every year because every year I watch Die Hard and Die Hard 2, and he is Leslie Barnes who worked in the air traffic control tower 
at Dulles International Airport and helps John McClane stop the terrorists. Leslie Barnes is a hero, and Art J. Evans is a great actor. After these messages, we will return. Look, the neighbors just bought a new car, and we drive that old wreck. They went to Cancun. We went to your brothers in Poughkeepsie. This Halloween, find Monster Game pieces in Pepsi products and Doritos brand tortilla chips. The right match can win you thousands of prizes, up to a million dollars. Look for specially marked packages. It could change your life for good. You never take out the garbage. Play Pepsi Doritos Monster Match for Monster Money. Frank! And now, back to the show. The music in Fright Night is great, and that is because it's done by Brad Feitel. Holland had heard his music in the 1984 film The Terminator and wanted that synthesizer-heavy approach to be brought into Fright Night. Feitel is probably best known for his work with James Cameron. They released, at the time, a 10-track soundtrack album, which was mostly artists singing music, more of a soundtrack release as opposed to a musical score release. If you were watching MTV at the time, you might have seen the Jay Giles band released Fright Night, which was written by Joe Lamont. I was a big fan because it actually utilized clips from the film, although it didn't get as much airplay as I thought it would after seeing it the first time. Eventually, they would release a instrumental scored album, and in 2011, Intrada Records would issue the score on CD. A lot of the master tapes went missing, so unfortunately, not every track is of super high quality audio-wise. So if you're an audiophile, you might not appreciate everything they're doing here, but it is pretty great. Now, it is very rare. And tracking one of these down is not that easy. But of course, people have uploaded a lot of this music to services like YouTube. So you can find it streaming online if you want to give it a listen. Fright Night was a summer release. It was released on August 2nd, 1985, and would gross $24.9 million at the box office. That's on a little over a $9 million budget. In its opening weekend, it made $6.1 million. And in the summer of 85... It was the second highest grossing horror film, only being surpassed by A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Unsurprisingly, it also critically was well-received. Roger Ebert gave it three out of four stars and wrote, Fright Night is not a distinguished movie, but it has a lot of fun being undistinguished. What a great quote. Boy, could he write. The film was nominated for several Saturn Awards, which are presented annually by the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. It had five nominations and would win for Best Writing, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Horror Film. The film was released on VHS in 1986. It was at this point that the film really got involved in my life as I started working in video stores in the 80s, and this was a very popular film. In 1999, it would get a release on DVD. It would get several DVD releases afterwards. In 2011, it finally got its first Blu-ray release in a very limited edition run. And then in 2015, another follow-up Blu-ray release would happen with slightly more, but was still a very limited edition release. Both of them have become big collector's items amongst Fright Night fans. 
mostly because they have extras. When they were releasing the film on DVD, they never asked anyone involved in the film to do any DVD extras. So there are pirate commentary tracks that were released in 2008 as MP3s. You can often find those online. So if you have an old DVD copy and you did not have a commentary track, you could kind of do some magic and sync those two up. Fright Night was a big success. And of course, when you have a big success, there's going to be a sequel. There was an attempt to get the band back together to make the second one. But there was a host of different reasons why certain people wouldn't want to appear in the film. And ultimately, Ragsdale and McDowell would be the only two returning to play their original roles. And there would be a whole new set of supporting characters and villains in the second film. The second film isn't bad. It's just lacking something, and I can't really put my finger on it. But if you like Fright Night, and if you want more of a fix of Charlie and Peter Vincent, then Fright Night 2 will satisfy you. McDowell really loved playing Peter Vincent and wanted to do a third film. I thought I would mention this because this is pretty crazy. McDowell wanted to get Holland back to make the third one, so he set up a meeting between Holland himself and the chairman of Carol Co. Pictures, Jose Menendez, and they were going to discuss maybe making a third Fright Night movie. Before that meeting could occur, Menendez and his wife were murdered by their sons, Lyle and Eric Menendez, the Menendez brothers. It's just one of those insane coincidences. It's a strange jump to make, but certainly this event influenced the history of the Fright Night franchise. In 2017, Holland announced that he would be making a Fright Night 3 novel, and that hopefully this would turn into another Fright Night movie. Fright Night The Resurrection was all over websites, and you could even set a reminder through Amazon, and that's still up there. But it does look like the book isn't happening, or nobody's adding more information to it. I've been on that waiting list trying to get informed for a long time. In 2009, they did make a remake of Fright Night, loosely based on the plot of the original film with all new people in it. It is a very different film. It's just not fun. Certainly not even as fun as the second Fright Night movie. It's as if they wanted to make more of a straight horror film, but the subject matter they were using was innately comedic in some way, or had more heart to it, and they didn't acknowledge that. It's got great actors in it, and it's well put together. But if I had my choice, I would tell everyone, just watch the 85 version. If you are a dedicated Fright Night fan, there was a documentary called You're So Cool, Brewster, The Story of Fright Night. It is very much worth tracking down and watching if you're a Fright Night fan. There have been comic books made about Fright Night. There was a 27-issue run on Now Comics of Fright Night. The first two issues of it were basically an adaptation of the original Fright Night movie. They also made a graphic novel for Fright Night Part 2. After those first two issues, the comic just becomes a Peter Vincent and Charlie teaming up to battle monsters and vampires. I did not check it out at the time, but I have since then. It's pretty cool stuff, and I really like the premise and the idea of it as a comic book. In fact, I would have liked it as a Monster of the Week TV series. Novelizations and the discussion of novelizations have become quite popular on the internet right now. There was a novelization of Fright Night by Craig Spector and John Skip was released in 1985. There's lots of differences in the book from the movie that are fun to find. There are lots of podcasts that have discussed this very book. So if you're a fan of novelizations, you might want to do a quick search 
If you're lucky, you can go out there and find a copy of Fright Night. It's obviously been out of print since the 80s, and finding it for sale, you just don't know what you're going to pay for it. But my experience is these are a lot of fun to read, especially if you're a fan of the original movie. Microdeal released a Fright Night video game in 1988 for the Commodore Amiga. They flip the movie on its head. Instead of playing the hero, you're actually playing the vampire, Jerry Dandridge. It's kind of silly, but the graphics are excellent, and a lot of what's in the original film is included in the video game. In 2018, an official stage adaptation of Fright Night premiered at the Carnegie Stage in Pittsburgh, PA. It was directed by James Michael Schoberg. I've only heard stuff online about it. It seems like a lot of fun, and if it ever travels to my neck of the woods, I will certainly go see it. Fright Night is one of those horror movies that's a lot of fun to watch. It blends humor and horror expertly, and that has to do with Holland and his brilliance and his real connection with the subject matter. But then it also has to do with his ability to put together an amazing cast of very talented performers. There were a lot of great horror films made in the 80s. A lot of them went on to many sequels. Fright Night is one of those films that not only should have gotten more sequels, I do think it would have been a great television show. And I think anyone who watches it, thinking about this, can see it right away. It is an idea that connects with people. And so, if you're looking for a good horror film, you'll enjoy it. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at retroist.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at twitter.com retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you have musical needs, you can email Peachy at peachy at retroist.com. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. Cops coming to get me. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.